Um, when I first got hired here at Wheaton Bible Church, my first job was to work at Puente del Pueblo. So I was a part of that summer program. It's a lot of work. There's a lot of people doing a lot of good work there. And so praise God for how God continues to grow and bless that, that ministry. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we come before you this morning, and uh, we are so, so grateful that the sun is shining. Even though it was raining this morning, Lord, we thank you that the sun is shining and that we get to be here worshiping the Lord. Thank you that we live in a nation where we can worship you openly and honestly, Father. And God, I want to thank you in particular, Lord, for the, the Puente uh, ministry, Lord. Not just what they do in the school year, but specifically, Lord, what they've done here over the summer. I thank you for Matthew and his team and, and all the incredible work that they're doing and Kyle, who's helping lead that. And so we're, I'm just so grateful, Father, for just the amazing church that we get to be a part of that is not just focused on what happens inside the walls, but equally focused on what happens outside the walls. Lord, I'm grateful even this morning for the incredible story that Nadia shared. We are uh, just so, so blown away, Lord, by how you work in each one of our lives and how a testimony can bring glory to you more than even a sermon can. So, Lord, thank you for her story and thank you for this morning. We pray now that as we get ready to hear from your word, Lord, you would take these tithes and these offerings and that you would use them, Lord, to advance your kingdom in the West Chicago region but also around the world. Father, we ask it and we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. All right, well, good morning again, church. Listen, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Will Franco. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Wheaton Bible Church, and it's so good to be back here with you again. Uh, before I get started, I want to say, uh, say a warm welcome to our traditional service. I uh, love you guys and thankful for you guys over in our East Worship Center. And uh, this morning, we are in the seventh and final installment of our seven-week series entitled One Story. And what we've been doing in this series, it's a series that we hope to do every summer. Um, and what we're going to do in this series is, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the life of Abraham through the lens of the gospel. 
And so our prayer is that every summer we'll look at a different Old Testament character through the lens of the gospel and through the lens of the finished work of Jesus. And so I'm not sure uh, how much you've grown or learned in this series. I know that it really has really impacted me. And so I've considered it an honor to be here concluding the series this morning. Now, our passage is this morning, and I use plural because we are, have a passage from both uh, the Old and the New Testament, um, uh, is Genesis chapter 23 and then Hebrews chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 23. I'll read six verses from there, and then we'll move over to Hebrews 11. We'll read three verses from there. And if you don't have a Bible, um, it'll be here on the screen beside me. So Genesis chapter 23, verses 1 through 6. One of the things we do here at our church is we have people stand during the reading of God's word. If you can please do that. I'll begin reading in verse 1. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abram went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am a foreigner and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, it says, By faith, Abraham, when called to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. It's the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, we, we come before you this morning. And we are so grateful that we get to worship you. Father, I'm not sure what is on all of our minds. We all have different things that we've been processing. We all have different weeks that we have gone through. But we thank you, Lord, that whatever we're going through, the solution is always the same. The answer is always the same. And it's you. And so, Lord, we know that your word is perfect, but we also know that your messenger is imperfect. And so, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be honoring and glorifying to you, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. That is our prayer this morning, and we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, you may be seated. So this morning, uh, like I already mentioned, we are in the final section, the final week of our seven-week series entitled One Story. And our topic this morning, the topic that we are going to be exploring and unpacking is the topic of being in exile. What does it mean and what does it look like to be an exile? Now, for some of you, you might think that's not a relevant topic at all because you're like, what, is, what does being an exile have to do with, with me? 
Well, what you discover when you read through the Old and the New Testament is that one of the identities that God uses to describe his people both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is the identity of exile. He uses the language again and again. So some of you didn't know that. Now you do. But for those who did know that, the issue is because it's a subject that's not ever really addressed, a lot of Christians are kind of left with their own devices to figure out what, what does it mean for me to be an exile? What does it mean for me to live like an exile here on this earth? And so what ends up happening is you, you end up defining an exile in your own, you know, preferences, in your own uh, religious background. And so some people think an exile is doing certain things and an exile is not doing other things. My goal this morning is to show you that the Bible actually tells us what an exile is supposed to look like. And if it's an identity that all of us are supposed to embrace, my hope is that by the end of this message, we not only would understand it's an identity we have to embrace, but we will understand what it actually looks like to be a faithful exile in this land. So here's what we're going to do this morning. This morning, we are going to look uh, at this passage under two headings. We are going to begin by looking at the marks of an exile. And then after we look at the marks of an exile, we are going to look at the motive of an exile. So we're going to begin with the what, what are we called to do, and then we are going to look at the why, why are we called to do it. So here are the the three marks according to these two passages, Genesis 23 and Hebrews 11. Here are the three marks that I believe we as believers should be displaying as exiles here on earth. The first mark is we are to have a vertical identity. The second mark is we are to have a horizontal focus. And then the third mark is we are to have a future orientation. So I'll explain each as we go. But the first mark that I want to look at this morning is if we are going to be faithful exiles here on earth, we must embrace a vertical identity. Now in the passage in verse 4 of Genesis 23, Abraham has just lost his wife, and the passage says that he gets up and he goes to speak with the Hittites. When he arrives to where the Hittites were, he describes himself with two words. He says, I am a foreigner and a stranger among you. Now, here's what's so interesting about verse 4. In the English, you don't really get the force of what he's saying. In, In the Hebrew, literally, the foreigner and stranger part comes first. So in the Hebrew, it literally reads as, a foreigner and a stranger am I. So he's really putting an emphasis on this identity of being a foreigner and a stranger. The, the word there, foreigner, is a temporary resident. It is an individual who lives among people who are not blood relatives. And then the word there, stranger, is a sojourner. It's a guest. Essentially, the, the, the best description of a stranger is a resident alien. And I'll get back to that in a little bit. But he describes himself, and this is what he says, I am a foreigner and a stranger. Now, the reason why Abraham is doing this is because Abraham has a vertical identity. What we find out later on is that he's actually been in the the promised land for 60 plus years. So technically, he's not really a foreigner anymore. He technically, he's not really a stranger anymore. But he describes himself that way because he understands that he is part of a different land, from a different place. And so his identity comes not from his horizontal relationships, but from his vertical relationship. Now, here's the thing about this identity that he chooses to uh, grasp onto, a foreigner and a stranger. 
Later on in the verse, if you guys saw, I tried to emphasize it when I was reading it. They actually describe him as a mighty prince. They describe him as a mighty prince. So here's what I need you to see. If we are going to be faithful exiles, there's a couple things we need to understand. Once you understand that your identity comes vertically from the Lord and not horizontally from the world, there are two implications that, that flow from that. There's an internal implication and then there's an external implication. The internal implication that takes place once you understand that your identity comes vertically from the Lord is that all the other identities that you have are good things, but they are no longer God things. In other words, Abraham had every right to see himself the way the Hittites saw him. He could have seen himself as a mighty prince with status and with wealth. And yet he chooses to describe himself as a foreigner and a stranger. And so even though in the world's eyes he was someone of noble uh, character and of high position, he chooses to describe himself based on his vertical identity, not his horizontal identity. Listen, if we are going to be faithful exiles, we have to understand that the roles that we play are good things, but they are not God things. The roles that we play here on earth, whether it's a spouse or a parent or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a student or an athlete, whatever, or a grandparent, whatever role you play here on earth, those are secondary identities. Your primary identity comes from who you are in Christ. It comes from who God says you are. And one of the things that we, that we can fall into if we're not careful as believers, when we forget that we are exiles, we start finding our primary identity in things that are smaller than Jesus. And the problem with anything that's smaller than Jesus is that it's temporary. And so if you find your identity in being a parent, at some point your kids move away. If you find your identity in, having, in your job, at some point you might lose your job or you retire. See, the problem with finding your identity in anything smaller than Jesus is that it's a temporary thing. Not a bad thing, just not a God thing. And so Abraham, he willingly chooses to find his identity vertically instead of horizontally. And if we're going to be faithful exiles, we must be willing to do the exact same thing. But here's the thing. Him embracing this vertical identity not only has internal implications because it changes how he views himself, but it also has external implications. Remember what I said the word there, stranger, meant. The, the word there, stranger, it's a resident alien. Now, the reason why I appreciate that, that, that word so much or that picture so much is because here in the United States, we have resident aliens, people who have green cards who are from another country and yet are here, and, and this is the place they call home. I grew up in an immigrant family. My dad is Cuban and my mom is Puerto Rican. Now, what's interesting about my parents, though, is that because of the places that they came from, the moment they arrived here, they were considered legal. My mom, Puerto Rico, is considered part of the United States. And my dad came in the 80s when you would become a political refugee from Cuba the moment you landed in Florida. And so I, growing up, I had this weird dynamic at my house because there were certain people in our family who completely just rejected the culture we were in and said, we're Hispanic. It doesn't matter how long we're in the United States. We're not going to learn the language. We're not going to learn the music. We're not going to eat the food. We are Hispanic, and that's what we are. And then there was other people who completely gave themselves over to the American culture, and you don't even know they're Hispanic anymore because they have completely given themselves over to being American. And so growing up, I saw these dynamics 
People who either fully rejected the culture or fully reflected the culture. But here's what's so beautiful about that idea of being a resident alien. One of the pastors that I read this week, he said that an, a resident alien has a green card right there in a country that's not their own. So, so they're more than a tourist. I said that right, tourist? I, that's, for some reason I struggle with that word. I, the, a, few, a, a couple years ago I preached on a, a, a similar topic and I kept saying tourist. And people were like, what? The terrorist? Like, what? what? <laughs> it's my Hispanic accent. I can't say Chicago Bulls either. I, I go Chicago Bulls, Chicago Bulls. And, yeah, it's bad. Anyway, so, um, so a, a resident alien on the one hand is more than a tourist, but then on the other hand, they're not, a, they're not a citizen. So they're in this world where they're not just here for a few weeks just sightseeing. They're living in this area, in this place, but they know that they don't fully belong here. They, they, they speak another language. They're from another culture. And that's the balance that we have to strike. That's the balance that we have to seek after if we are going to be faithful exiles here on this earth. Which is why there's a part of you that's never fully satisfied with this world. And that's what C.S. Lewis argues, that the reason why your longings aren't satisfied is because you are made for a different world. And so even though we live here, even though we speak the language, and there's a part of us that's very much a part of the culture, there's another part of us that just deep down you know, I'm never going to be fully satisfied this side of heaven. Because this is not the world that I was created for. Does that make sense? So, the first mark of a follower or an exile is an exile has a vertical identity. The second mark of a faithful exile is a faithful exile has a horizontal focus. Look what it says. I'm going to read verse 5 and 6 again to you. Verse 5, the Hittites reply to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. You are a mighty prince among us. So get this. Abraham, because he understands his vertical identity in God, he then can go out and have a horizontal focus on others. And the reason why we know he has a horizontal focus focus is because they describe him as a mighty prince. And what's so fascinating about that phrase in the Hebrew is that it literally means a prince of God. He is a prince of God. So the Hittites, even though they don't believe in his religion, the Hittites have been so blessed by his presence that they describe him as a mighty prince of God. So what we see is that Abraham, as a faithful exile, has a horizontal external focus on others. Now what commentators say, and I mentioned this earlier, is that it's been 60, about 62 years that Abraham has been in the promised land. Well, what's interesting though is that he still owns no land whatsoever. He, he, he's been in the, the promised land that God promised him, and he's been there 60 plus years. You know how long 60 years is? And then you still don't even own a plot of land in this land of Canaan. So Abraham had a 60-year opportunity to either ruin his testimony with the Hittites or to build a testimony with the Hittites. And what we see is that over the 60 years, he built a positive, God-glorifying testimony. He was a contributor and not just a consumer. Here's the thing. When you forget that you are in exile, what you end up doing is you end up using the world. You don't end up serving the world. 
When you forget you're in exile, you end up just taking all the good things from the world. You become a consumer and never give anything in return. But what we see is that because he understood his vertical identity, he knew who he was, then he acted how he should. With us, what happens is when we, don't, when we forget who we are, we don't act as we should. But he understood. He, was a, he made sure that, okay, I, 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 my vertical identity is not found in these people. Is found in God, so now I can serve these people with no strings attached. I don't need them to scratch my back if I scratch their back because everything I need has already been given to me in God. That's why he's able to do what he does. Let me put it this. Abraham's vertical security produced horizontal service. The, the vertical grace produced horizontal generosity. That's what we see in Abraham. And listen, I am convinced that part of the reason why we as believers don't serve, we're not as loving as we should be, we're not as compassionate as we should be, we're not as evangelistic as we should be, is because we forget the riches that we have in Christ, and so we walk around like orphans when we're really adopted millionaires. And so we, 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 we act just like our neighbors. We are fearful just like our neighbors. There's nothing different between us and our unsaved neighbors because we forget who we are. And so then when we go out, we end up serving others for the same reason that other people serve us, which is to get something in return. But when I understand that I'm already loved and I'm already accepted and I'm already approved of, I can go out and serve with no strings attached because I don't need you to love me. I don't need you to applaud me. I don't need you to accept me because Jesus has already done it. That's why this is so important. And what we see in Abraham, because he understands that he's in exile, uh, th th there's, there's kind of two extremes that we can fall off of as Christians if we're not careful. The, the, the first extreme, some people think that an exile means I just completely reject the world around me. I reject them. They're going to hell in a handbasket. Forget all of them. I reject it. They're sinners. That's the first response, which is unbiblical. But then other Christians, because we just love extremes, they swing to the other extreme. And instead of rejecting the world, they completely reflect the world. And you don't even know they're Christians. Some people reject it fully or some people reflect it fully. But what we see is that Abraham doesn't reject it or reflect it. He reaches the world. He doesn't reflect the world. He doesn't reject the world. He reaches the world. That's why one pastor that I read this week said, one of the things that, 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 that Christianity does, in some ways Christianity is very attractive to the world around us, but in other ways, because the Bible says the gospel is offensive, it's also very offensive. And so if you are actually living the life of an exile, there, there's part of your life that should be very attractive to your unsaved neighbor, but then there are also parts of your life that might be offensive because the gospel offends but what happens is if you're someone who just tries to reject the world, then you're the offensive. You just offend everybody on Facebook. Every chance you get, you're offending people with Christianity. Right? But if you go the, the, the other route, which is to reflect, your, your Christianity is so attractive that no one even knows you're a Christian. And so one of the things about, one of the things about being a faithful exile is that you don't reflect. You don't re, yeah, reflect or reject. You reach. And there's a part of you that... There's a part of your Christianity that's very compelling, and there's a part of your Christianity that's very offensive. That's, that's the tension that we're supposed to live in. Listen, this isn't a problem to be solved. It's a tension to manage. One of the things I learned in leadership pretty early on is that sometimes there's a problem that needs to be solved. But sometimes there's a tension that needs to be managed, and you have to be okay with the tension. This is a tension that we have to manage if we are going to be faithful disciples of Jesus in this world.
So the first um, identity, actually, you know what, let me read this quote that comes from uh, uh, C.S. Lewis talking about what happens when we find our identity vertically. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. Then he says, the apostles themselves who set, who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. Clicker is not working. Okay. It is since Christians have largely ceased, listen to this, it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. There's nothing worse than a Christian who lives like this is the only world that exists. Because then you end up being just as offended as your unsaved neighbor, just as anxious, just as angry, just as bitter. That's actually the definition of worldliness. To be worldly means to live as if this world is the only one that exists. But according to Scripture, it's not. We are not citizens. We are exiles. Now, the third and final mark of an exile is an exile has a future orientation. A true exile has a future orientation. Look what it says in verse 2. I'm going to read uh, from verse 2 of Genesis 23 and then uh, verse 9 and 10 of Hebrews chapter 11. Look at, look at Abraham's uh, future orientation. It says in verse 2, uh, his wife Sarah, Sarah died at Kiriath, at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. Then it says, By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10, For he was looking, what? Forward. To the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So I need you to follow with me here. I want you to see how his identity as an exile affects not just his past and his present, but it affects his future. It affects the way he views death, and it affects the way he views heaven. So think about it. Just let me let's process this for a second. Abraham, at the beginning of the passage... We are told in Genesis 23 that Abraham loses his wife. His, his, his partner, all these years that they've been together, his wife has just passed away. But what I need you to see in this passage, and this is why understanding you're in exile is so important, is because when you understand you're in exile, it changes the way you mourn. It changes the way you suffer. I want you to see the beauty of how Abraham navigates this. Abraham loses his wife, and the passage says that he mourns and he weeps. He mourns and he weeps. Those are very strong words in Hebrew. 
The words there, they're interchangeable in some ways, but it literally means to cry out audibly. It means to, it implies to rip off your clothes and to be completely despondent. And so what we see is that Abraham, as an exile, is able to experience genuine grief. But then right after that, I don't know how long he was in that process, the Bible doesn't tell us, but it says that at at some point, Abraham rose up and went forward. So, so, So follow with me here. This is really important because this is not talked about enough in church. On the one hand, Abraham is able to experience genuine grief and sorrow, and yet on the other hand, he's able to experience genuine hope for the future. All at the same time. And one of the things that bothers me in Christian circles is that we are so quick, this is, Christians are the worst at this, someone loses a loved one, they lose a spouse or a parent or a child or someone close to them, and Christians show up and immediately are just trying to look at the, bli- the, the, the bright side. Hey, hey, listen, it's going to be all right because, hey, we're going to see them again, right? Amen? God has a plan, amen? No. Suffering is hard. Death wasn't part of God's plan. It's because of the fall that there is death. And so we as Christians have to be allowed to mourn. We as Christians have to be allowed to weep. And it it just bothers me so much. When my wife and I, we had a a miscarriage a few years ago. It just bothered me when people would just come around and be like, hey, you're a pastor, so let's keep it going. Suck it up. You'll see the baby at some point. That's crazy. No, because sin is bad and death is wrong. And so when we tell people just to move on, I don't think that's biblical. I think we can have genuine grief. It's okay to grieve. Even if it's been a year or two or three or ten. It's okay. But what's beautiful about Jesus is that, and what's beautiful about being an exile, is that on the one hand you can, you can grieve and be open about your grief, but yet because of what Jesus did, Death has lost its sting. And if that person's a believer, what we believe is that you're going to then one day see them again. So, so at, at some point, you can rise up and move. But here, here's what I need you to understand. And if no one's ever told you this, I apologize to you. Because death was never supposed to happen, I believe that as Christians, we, we can move forward, but there's a part of us that never moves on. Does that make sense? And I think that's, that's okay because that wasn't supposed to happen. As angry as the cancer got you, as angry as the disease got you, as the miscarriage or whatever it is, that, 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 or whatever the person you lost is, that wasn't, that was, that's sin. That's because of the fall. And so in, in Christ, what's beautiful about, uh, about the gospel is that there's a part of, because of Jesus, we can move on in hope. Right? Because of the Savior, we can move, on, move forward, but because of sin, there's a part of us that never moves on. I can move forward, and yet there's a part of me that never moves on. And that's why there's some of you who lost someone five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, and you almost feel bad saying you missed a person because you want everyone else to think your faith is strong. No, it's okay for you to cry. It's okay for you to be angered. Because death is bad. Does that make sense? So what we see is that Abraham is able to experience genuine grief, and yet on the other hand, he experienced genuine hope. And what I love about the example Abraham gives, when when a non-Christian loses someone in their life, if, if they don't believe there's a heaven, or they don't have a relationship with Jesus, 
they don't experience sorrow, they experience despair. See, sorrow is when you lose a good thing. A spouse, a child, a sibling, a parent. Sorrow is when you lose a good thing. Despair is when you lose a God thing. When someone is in despair, what that means is what they lost was something that was in the place of God. Sorrow is biblical. Despair is idolatry. And as Christians, we can have genuine sorrow, but because of Christ, we have genuine hope. Amen? So what we see is that not only does it change the way he views death, but it also changes the way he views heaven. Because it says here in verse 10, for he was looking forward. Now, let me, let me kind of explain to you how incredible the faith of Abraham is. Abraham has been in the promised land for 60 years. The promised land that God promised him. And he still owns no land at all. All he has is a tent, an altar, and his family. That's all he has. Now, one of the things that we can almost lose sight of because we're modern people looking back into Scripture is that in those days, your burial was very important. The burial ceremony was very important. And one of the things you had to do when someone was to be buried, you would make sure to bring them back to the place you were born, to make sure you buried them with their ancestors. Listen, Abraham choosing to buy a piece of land in the land that he doesn't own yet and bury his wife in a solitary tomb, not go back to where his family was, took a lot of faith. He was saying, God, I so believe you're going to keep your promise. Even though I don't have the right age, even though I don't have an army, even though there's no prospects of me ever taking over this place, I, by faith, am going to buy this piece of land. I'm not taking my family back to where I'm from, where my dad is and my, 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 my siblings are. No, I'm going to do it here because I believe that you're going to do something. As an exile, the only thing Abraham had was a tent and an altar. The tent reminded him that this world was in his home. And the altar reminded him that God was his God. That's all he had, a tent and an altar. You know what the difference between a tent and a building is that it's this right here, the foundation. You can live in a tent for 40 years. But tents by nature are temporary because they don't have foundations. You can just pull them up at any time. But the difference between the tents that we live in today, and according to Scripture, it's not just our homes that are tents. Our bodies are tents, the Bible says. The tents that we live in at one point are going to be pulled up, and our true foundation, the true rock that we build our life on, is Jesus Christ. Amen? So, those are the three marks of being an exile. So now that we've seen the marks of an exile, I want to conclude this morning by looking at the motive of an exile. Now, some of you might be confused right now because you're thinking, well, why are you giving me a second point? You told me you were going to explain what an exile was. You've explained what an exile is, so let's land the plane, bro. Just finish, right? Amen. And here's the thing. Most sermons in America end right here. You, you, you pick a character from the Bible you tell people how to be like them, and you say amen. Here's the problem with that. The problem with me stopping right now is that if I were to end the sermon by just looking at Abraham, get this, I could have preached this sermon 
in any mosque, in any synagogue, and no Jew or Muslim would have been offended. If all I did was elevate Abraham and tell you how we should be more like Abraham, no Jew or Muslim would be offended by my sermon. That's why I can't end with Abraham. Because, because reality, even if we go back to the three marks, those three marks, the vertical identity, horizontal focus, future orientation, those are true of Islam and Judaism. They all would have said amen to what I said. What makes Christianity different is not the marks, it's the motive. See, some of you are like, you already told me what to do, so who cares why I do it? No, the Bible does care why you do it. What makes Christianity different is not the marks, it's the motive. It's not the what. It's the why. Here's another reason why we can't end the sermon with Abraham. The reason why we cannot end the sermon with Abraham is because we just did a seven-week series on this man, and we realized he's not someone you should be following and modeling your life after. He was a sinner. He was broken. He, at the end of his life, he dies just like us. There was nothing special about Abraham at the end of the day. And so what we discovered as we've gone through this series is that we can learn from Abraham, but we must lean on someone else. What we need is more than a model. What we need is mercy. What we need is more than a resource. What we need is a redeemer. We need a rescue. What we need is more than just a hand. What we need is help. And so that's why God sent us a greater Abraham. God sent us a greater model who displayed the greater marks and provides a greater motive, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, Christ alone. Christ alone is the greater Abraham. Christ alone is the greater exile. He's not just the greater exile because he left a sinful land of earth. The Bible says that Jesus left the perfect heaven, came down to sinful earth. He left his father's side, not Terah, the, the idolater that was Abraham's father, or their father. No, no, he left his father in heaven and he came and was in exile his entire life to the point where he says that he doesn't even have a place to lay his head. And at the end of his life, where does Jesus die? It says that he dies outside the gate. So he even dies as an exile. He lives as an exile. He dies as an exile. Jesus is the greater exile who came to, to display for us the greater vertical identity. In the passage, we are told that, that Abraham was a prince with God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the son of God. He's not with God. He is God. And then Jesus shows up and has a... a a horizontal focus. A horizontal focus, it says. Abraham served others. Jesus sacrificed himself for others. He had a future orientation. We are told in Scripture that it was because of the joy set before him that he endured the cross. And you know what the greatest difference between Jesus and Abraham is? The tomb. The tomb. You know the tomb that, that this, this, this story ends with, starts with and ends with? In Genesis 23, the only person buried in the tomb is Sarah. But by the end of Genesis... Abraham is there, and all his other kids are there too. And even Joseph, who's in, who's in Egypt, he says, hey, go back and bury me in that tomb. So at the end of Genesis, even though these are all characters we can learn from, at the end of Genesis, you have a full tomb of sinners. But at the end of the Gospels, we have an empty tomb. Because Jesus is the greater Abraham. That's what we find. Guys, and this is why the motive is more important than the marks. This is why the why inspires the what. Listen, it is very easy to believe the gospel initially. It is very hard to believe the gospel continually. 
It's easy to believe the gospel the first time. But the second time and the fourth time and the 200th time, that's why we need each other. That's why we as exiles create a community within your community, a city within a city. We need to come alongside each other and say, listen, listen, it's easy to believe the gospel initially. It is very hard to believe the gospel continually. And so we have to come together and we have to remind each other that because Jesus was crushed, we are cherished. Because Jesus was punished, we are pardoned. Because Jesus was kicked out, we are brought in. That's what the Bible says. Jesus lost everything so that we might receive everything. That's what we need to remind each other of. That Jesus unfairly died so now we can unfairly live. It's the only way we're going to live the life of exiles that we are called to live. Listen, the only way that we will ever meet the standards of the first point is if we rely on the Savior from the second point. It's the only way. To the degree that you see Jesus giving you everything you need vertically, then and only then will you give away everything you have horizontally. And to the degree that you see Jesus being a sacrificial exile for you, to that same degree, you will be a sacrificial exile for him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you this morning, and we are so grateful that in Jesus, we not only have the ultimate model to imitate, but we also have the ultimate motive to be inspired by. He is our model and our motive. He is the greater Abraham who experienced the greater exile. And his exile, Lord, wasn't just horizontal. It says that, that at the cross, you forsook him. You turned your back on him. He became an orphan so that we might become children. Father, I pray this morning that we as believers here in this region would remember who we are vertically so that our focus can be horizontal and our orientation can be future-minded. Father, we love you and we thank you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.